0: people perish because they've never seen any beauty in Jesus. They've heard all about the rules and the don'ts and the can'ts. What about the beauty, the wonder, the attraction there is in Jesus? Satan blinds to the glory to be found in Jesus, not the rules. The glory. It's the glory of our gospel that the world doesn't see, that in his har- arms are ten thousands. Well, we're going to look at John 17, where Christ prays for three things. He prays for himself in verses 1 through 5. He prays for uh, the men right in front of him in verses 6 through probably 21. And then he prays for those who will believe on their message in verses 21 through 26. Today, I want us to focus on verses 6 through 16, where he prays that his disciples will be protected by God, that his disciples will be protected by God. We're going to look at three things. Who he prays for, what kind of protection do they need, and what means does God use today to protect his people? So, who is he praying for? The world or his own? Well, it's his own. Uh, What do they need to be protected from? It's quite interesting that everybody in the room dies a martyr's death except John, so it cannot be protected from persecution and martyrdom. So how were they protected? How were they protected? And then... I would just like for practical application for us, what means has God given us today to deliver us from the most insidious, brilliant, evil person on the loose in the universe, Satan, who hates the whole human race. That's why he damns the majority. He hates the believer, and we are really, A rub to him because we want to make Christ known, and he's antichrist, and so he wants to obliterate that all that he can. And uh, he hates your marriage. He hates this church. He hates the Word of God. He hates anything that sounds or smells like God. How do we in this world overcome his plots to destroy us? Because whether you know it or not, he has a plan by which he liked to destroy you. Now, if you're a child of God, he won't get to ultimately destroy you, so maybe he can ruin you. Maybe he could uh, uh, make a disaster out of what we do, but we'll ultimately uh, be saved. But it's amazing how many things we can do and still be saved, but be rendered ineffective and fall into the snare and trap of the devil. So... We need to be informed, and so I'll kind of do a little meandering on that third point and take us to Ephesians 6 for some practical applications. Who is he praying for? Well, uh, he's praying for those people that the Father gave him in verse 6. Uh, These are the ones you gave me out of the world. Now, when you say out of the world, know this. World is not talking about terra firma. He's not talking about geography, per se. It happens on this geography, but when he talks about the world in John's writings, the world is not viewed as cosmology or geography. It's viewed as that system under the control of Satan and that it has a philosophy, uh, pursuits, and pleasures that are opposed to God. And 1 John 5:19 says, the whole world lies in the power of Satan. And that it means everything that runs the system, the philosophy that runs the world outside of Christ in this world, it's opposed to God. Uh, it, we're told not to love the world, not people that need Christ, but the system of evil, uh, uh, world affairs apart from God. Don't, don't fall in love with it. Don't fall in love with uh, all of its philosophies, all of what they say it takes. We are a different people. We're seen to be aliens and pilgrims and that our politics are really in the third heaven. We're citizens of another land, right? We're just passing through. And so John says, don't love the world. Don't. Uh, and we made that all cosmetics and Uh, a lot of rules that I grew up with in the groups I was with, but it's much more than just that. Don't be influenced or controlled by what controls the philosophy of this world. So he says, you gave them to me out of the world in which they were lost. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Isn't this a beautiful interchange between the Father and the Son? They were yours, Father, and you gave them to me. And I've taken care of them for these three and a half years. And none of them is going to be lost except Judas. And they'll come to that. So I've kept the 11. Now they've come to know that everything you've given me is from you. These men said, hey, Christ is Messiah. He really is God's spokesman. The words you gave me, I gave them. They received them. And they've come to have an understanding of them. I'm asking on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you've given me. Now, let's ask this question. Should you pray for the unsaved world? Yeah. Well, 1 Timothy 2.1, pray for leaders, pray for those in authority. But he's saying here, what I'm praying here, one thing based upon Christ's mediatorial Position before the Father, the unsaved have no mediator. They have no high priest that represents them. You see, in the Old Testament, the high priest had 12 stones on his breast that were the names of the 12 tribes. And he was clothed, and when he went into the Holy of Holies, he represented his people. He didn't represent the Gentiles. He represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And Christ, in his mediatorial work, and as our high priest, he prays for his own. He intercedes for his own. Hebrews 7 says he saves them to the uttermost because he prays and intercedes for them. Romans 8, Christ intercedes for his people. I know of no place he intercedes for those that are not. They need to come to Christ, to know Christ, And it's only when they know Christ, they get an interceding Christ, and they get a representative Christ. As long as you're rejecting him, he's not representing you before the Father. So we have a representative in the Holy of Holies that prays for you and I that are his people. I'm counting on his prayer life. I'm counting on his intercessions. Well, he goes on. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these men. All things are mine, are yours, and yours are mine. I've been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, yet they are in the world. And I come to you, keep them in your name, the name which you've given me. Verse 12, I was keeping them in your name. I guarded them. Protect my disciples. Look at the scene. I'm getting ready to leave. In a matter of 12 hours, probably within three hours, I'll be arrested. Uh, I'll be let out for six trials, three before the Gentiles, twice before Herod, once before Pilate, three times before the Jews, six trials. It will happen from midnight on when it's illegal to hold a trial in a Jewish court. I'll be framed, I'll be sold out, and within 12 hours, I'll probably be in a tomb. I'll be beat beyond recognition, I'll be killed like a criminal. So I've only got 12 to 14 hours, and I'm out of here, and I'll go back to heaven like a beaten, criminalized man. But I'm leaving these men in the world that crucifies me. I'm asking that you'll keep them. Now, here's the thing. Within 12 hours, Peter will deny him three times. So the father didn't keep him from denying. Within 12 hours, all the men there will flee from him. They'll sleep in Gethsemane, and they'll flee when the troops come. Father didn't answer the prayer that way. They all slept in the garden. And he said, pray that you don't enter into temptation. They all prayed. Guess what? They entered temptation. What did they do in temptation? They all fell. So this prayer must not include that, must not include exempt them from persecution, exempt them from martyrdom, exempt them from temptation. None of it happened. How was the Father to keep them? What was he to keep them from? Look at verse uh, 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Uh, Was there any evil one in that upper room? John 13, Luke 22. In the upper room, the devil entered in to Judas, and he went and carried out the plot. What had happened in the upper room is one of the 12 became a devil, became completely controlled by the devil, and he did not just get tempted. He did not just make a mistake, but he made a decision and a direction that damned him forever. He calls him the son of perdition. The word perdition means perishing, and it's a present tense. The son, son in Hebrew usually means I have the characteristic of what the son of Belial, I have the character of Belial. He's the son of perishing, perdition. The son of perishing will perish. I pray, Father, don't let any of these other 11 men become a Judas. Don't let any of these other men sell me out and never return. They will fail. They will flee. They will sleep. They will deny. But don't let them finally apostatize. Don't let them finally abandon me to their eternal regret. Please, Father, keep them in the name. And I know where I'm asking you to keep them. Keep them in the world that will kill me within 12 to 14 hours. It'd be a lot easier for God to save you and then kill you and take you to heaven. And you'd never make another mistake. But it gets greater glory in keeping you in this environment. Keeping you in the world that hates Christ and says we will incur that hate in John 15, they will hate you because they hated me. Can God keep you in a world that hates Christ? Can God keep you in a world where you're hated because you belong to Christ? I've had different times in this church where there was uh, exit plans for people to leave this church and leave the Bay Area because the Bay Area is so bad. Not easy to raise kids in the Bay Area. Not easy to live for God in the Bay Area. Well, let me help you out with Jesus. It's not easy in the world. Wherever Satan's influence, you know, they actually have kids get in trouble in Idaho. (laughs) They actually get in trouble in Utah. And it's this idea that we're in flight, we're in fear, we can't make it, can't stand it, because that's one of the hardest things for our couples in this area. Where do I send my kids to school where they won't be introduced to drugs, where they won't be beat up? And that's not an easy thing. And not everybody's got the money to afford private tuition. So what do we do? Our hearts should be praying and do everything we can to provide some kind of help for the youth that are in great jeopardy. But can't you imagine these men? Our visible leader is leaving. Our visible leader didn't just say goodbye and whoop. He'll leave crucified. He'll leave being framed. He'll leave spit on, beaten, humiliated, mocked. This is our leader, and he's going, and he's saying, by the way, I'm going to leave the rest to you. But I want to pray for you. My first concern is your protection. I'm asking the Father to keep you. I've kept you for these three years. Now, I'm going to ask the Father to keep you for the next 2,000 years, all who follow in the steps of these men. And the Father kept all 11 men. Not one of them gave up the faith. Now, let me ask you this. Let's go secondly. Not just who. Uh, If the devil uh, wanted to uh, uh, defeat you, he can't destroy you, but if he wanted to defeat you, uh, what would he do to you? What would be his strategy? Um, If he hates you and if he's loose, some folks have got him bound on my neighborhood, he's loose. What strategies would he use to bring you down? Now, what did he use on these men? Uh, Pride with Peter. Luke 22, they got in an argument over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And all the disciples are fussing about it. All of a sudden, Peter says, by the way, Lord, I don't know about these other washouts, but you can count on me. I'm going to stay true to you. And right then, Jesus has said, You know what, Peter, I want to fill you in on something. Satan has already asked me for the permission to let me handle you and sift you like wheat. He's asked permission that you just turn Peter over to me and let me show Peter what he'll do. And Christ obviously gave the permission. Denial, fleeing, doing what he said he never would do. But Christ said something. But what I'm going to do for you, Peter, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to convert you. I'm going to turn you around from your wrong choices and your wrong direction, and once you get straightened out, I want you to go and encourage the brothers not to be proud like you were and you were brought down. Pride would be the first way to bring you down is Satan's favorite way. Get you to believing and put your confidence in yourself Because pride and unbelief, they sleep together. See, when you're proud, it's this way. Your trust moves to you. When you're trusting, it moves to God. So, pride and unbelief sleep together. I can't trust God to handle this. I can do it. So, you transfer it to you. And now you get a little proud, self-sufficient, and I can handle this. And so... uh, Satan comes up to God and says, why don't you just let me have them a little bit? They have fallen into my sin that got me kicked out of heaven. Let me show them how weak they are if they get in my hands for but a moment. And sometimes maybe it lets the devil to you for a minute, a day, a week. Because Ephesians 6 says, be ready for the evil day. What's the evil day? It's when the devil is coming against you. And he's got permission some way. Because God's got you in his hands, but he lets the devil get to your mind, and all of a sudden, you're in conflict. Pride, unbelief. And uh, how does the devil do this? There's two ways. One, Ephesians says he has a methodical way that he brings people down. And he's been doing it for uh, millenniums. Do you think you're hard to defeat? Do you think the devil finds you, woo, I've got a hard one? (laughs) Or it says, I got another sap. I got another dummy. It's worked on 80 million already. Why wouldn't it work on him? So he reaches in his toolbox. And he pulls out certain things. And what he does, he's got a methodical way that he attacks. He's very, very methodical. And that very word is used, we are not ignorant of his schemes in Ephesians. And the word schemes is methods. We're not ignorant of his methodical way to bring us down. Then Paul said, we're not ignorant of his thoughts in 2 Corinthians 2.11. We are not ignorant of Satan's thoughts. So he plants certain thinking certain thoughts in your mind, and he's got a method. He's got a method. A- and Any pride, favorite, unbelief, or doubt? Uh, Hath God said? Why, well, God didn't say that. Yeah, he did say it. I-, I can't believe God. You can't? Who told you that? God's enemy? Your enemy? He's methodically gets the doubts going. Doubts going, pride going. And uh, then right after that, usually he'll make you afraid because where God's in control, he delivers from fear. Love, God's given us the spirit of love and power and a sound mind. Well, my mind's confused. I'm afraid. Where's that coming from? That's not coming from God. Your enemy. He's making you afraid. And so fear, because you hear the roar of the lion, the roar of the lion. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn said a remarkable thing years ago. You've never read the, uh, Arch- the Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn. It's an incredible story of how he survived the Russian prison system when Stalin arrested him after World War II. And he's one of the literary giants of Russia. But he was incarcerated. But he said this great line, One need only study history to realize that fear has always signaled the beginning of the end. When fear takes over your heart, you won't proceed. You're afraid. You're kind of like Pilgrim on the way to the celestial city, and when they got close to Vanity Fair, and they wind up in Doubting Castle, but close there were the lions that roared, and it scared him and hope to death, and they stopped in the journey, and they got over on the property of giant despair, and he threw them in jail and threatened to kill them. But what scared them? The lions. Why? Later, when they made their escape, they saw that the lions had been chained, but they didn't know it. You see, the devil can only go so far because God keeps his own, and he won't let him destroy you, but he can distort you, distress you, and cause you misery. So what would he do? Get a hold of your mind, start planting stuff. Start tempting you to be proud, doubtful, fearful. Of course, he'll always plant lies. Now, how does God protect us in this world? First, himself. He says, he gives us this promise. First Peter 1.5, you are being kept by the power of God. So, what's at stake in you making it to heaven and getting through the power of God versus the power of Satan? There's the contest, and you happen to be in between. And, and God says, I can keep you in the world. No, you can't. You don't know how the devil's lying to me. You don't know what the devil's been doing. You don't know. God says, I don't. I know all about this guy. I kicked him out of heaven. I know every strategy, every method, every thought. I know every." tactic he's going to use against you, now listen to me, listen to me, I know how to outwit him, I'm smarter, I created him, he's going to be defeated, I'm going to incarcerate him for eternity, listen to me, listen to me, I can get you through the world. Well, okay, God, you said you gave me yourself, that you'll keep me by your power, you said you'd keep me in your hand, you and the son, and no one could pluck me out of your hand, but I sure like I'm doing a lot of falling down in your hands. He said, I want to give you four things to get you through this world. Four things. Are you ready? Do you take notes? Ephesians. Let's go there for this. Then I'll release you to pig out. As you and you desperately need exercise. Uh, let's go to Ephesians. 6, where he talks about Satan and the evil day. Verse 10: finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice whose strength we're talking about. God wants you to appropriate his strength, and in the Greek, the idea is let him infuse his strength in you. Philippians 4:13. I can do all things through Christ. And the Greek, again, is infusing his strength. God wants to channel his wisdom, his power through you to show the adversary with my power through my child, I'll rout your plan. I want to defeat you. I can take the weakest child of God who relies on me that I infuse my strength and rout you, devil. So he said, let me empower you. Then he says, "Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the methodias methods of the devil, his strategies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Here, you thought it was the deacons, or you thought it was your mother-in-law. It's not. That's not your battle. It's beyond flesh and blood. It's against rulers. He's not talking about Nero." He's talking about spiritual in the spiritual realm, powers, world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, not at Rome, who will kill Paul eventually. Now, I'm not talking about Nero. I'm talking about what's going on in the heavens. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Now, I ask you a question. Where is the armor? Take up the armor. Take up this chair. That means the chair has, I mean, it's over. Take up the chair. Well, oh, no, no, that's it. What's it? Take it up. Oh, no, take it up. Get it. Lift it up. Take the armor. Where is it? What? What? The what? now he'll get to that in verse 17. Praying, and by the Spirit, take up the Word. Now, but first of all, he starts out this way. See, we know in the football game today, you've got to have two parts. You've got to have a good defense and a good offense. We lost to the Seahawks because our offense wasn't good. We just had a running quarterback. Who didn't succeed at passing. Come on. The, the defensive line did great. The 49ers' defense has been terrific, right? I mean, come on, tip your hat to anybody that could play the Green Bay Packers and survive. Come home with your fingers still on. But to win a game, you better be able to defend against the opponent. My brother and I, we talk about he liked to box, and one time he used to work out, and he worked out in a gym in Berkeley, and, oh, this sparring, and and doing all this, and and like that. It's really good when you're hitting the bag. And and then you get in the ring, there's one issue. You get an opponent. And he, boom, I've had enough boxing for me, honey. I'm not giving this face to some blue glove. Uh-uh, I'm pretty boy Floyd. Mm. Because the opponent wants to knock you out. Satan wants to knock you out, soldier. And God's giving you armor, and he names it. He's just using a Roman analogy. This armor is composed of truth. It's composed of the gospel. It's composed of Righteousness. It's composed of uh, these various aspects. Look right here. Uh, stand in the truth, verse 14. Uh, stand in the gospel of peace, verse 15. Take in the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. What is he saying? The word of God there can do no good for you in the evil day. Not right there. That's why you are easy pickings. You're so dumb about what God said. You know more what the world is saying than you know what God is saying. You know more about what the devil's telling you than you know what God said. You've got to get what's in there up here. Whatever method, whatever method, memorize Scripture, meditate on it, How can you meditate on Scripture you can't even remember? He meditates in the law, and his meditation is, I wonder if that's in Exodus or John. That's not the meditation, honey. If He just took Psalms 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And in the Hebrew, it says, I will lack for nothing. I like to translate shepherd, you know what the equivalent word is? Pastor. The Lord is my pastor. Hey, who needs Howard? Because I need a pastor. The Lord's my pastor. Who's yours? I lack nothing. Well, what, what does a sheep lack? They lack water. They lack pasture. They lack protection. They lack getting oil when they're wounded. See, if I just meditate on that all day, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall lack for nothing. He he will protect me when my enemies surround me. He will provide water when I need refreshment. I'm meditating on him, and the devil's coming. God doesn't care about you. He forgot you. Your God's a liar. The Lord's my shepherd. I shall lack for nothing. Satan, did you hear what God said? I'm telling you what God said. Take it up with him. If he lied, take it. Have you checked it out with God, Satan? (coughs) 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 No. Why? Somebody give me a songbook book here. Right here. Wait on. Wait right here. I wanted to sing a solo, but they didn't let me. (laughs) Oh, get this here. A a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work his woe, his craft, his methods, and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. does ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord, sabbath his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sighteth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Devil, read the Bible for yourself. I'm standing on the promises. I'm standing on the promises. I'm trusting the word of God. Don't tell me I need another woman. I need more sex on the side. I don't. You're a liar. You propagate lust. You propagate unfaithfulness. You propagate un- uh, disloyalty to God. I'm going to stand. First of all, my defense is when you come in with your schemes and your evil thoughts. I'm going to resist you. And listen to James four seven. Resist the devil. Wait, wait, and he will what? Peace. Ooh, you hear that? The strongest created being, will res- he will flee when you resist him with the Word of God. You don't believe it, do you? Somebody said, I wouldn't know what that feels like because you've never resisted him. you got to get a shield. you got to get the Word of God. He's not going to resist your little pea brain. He's going to resist the Word of God, the Word of God. That's why we tell you to read it, learn it. That's why, you know, as this church goes on, they How many people attend this church that can't quote a verse? They can tell you what anything means. I want some music. I want a donut. Oh, get over it. (laughs) Last thing you need is a donut. You need to live on something besides bread alone. You need a word from God. And he said, if you take this word, it'll be an armor. Boom, Satan hit you. Boom, boom, boom. And then? He gives you some offensive weapons. Watch this now. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Are you sure you're saved? Can you wear how you know you're saved to guard your mind? The devil said, you're not going to heaven. Why? You're not worthy. You're right. I just saw what you did. Mm, I've already accused you to the father. Well, devil, you've got to read it all. My advocate took up the case. My advocate right now is telling the father, I died for that rascal. He's telling the father, they won't stay saved because they don't fail. Because Peter failed that night, denied him three times. Who would have ever thought he could preach on the day of Pentecost? I'm going to convert you. And you know what, as a believer, we've been converted many times, turned around, turned around from wrong thinking, wrong choices. And God says, get back home. I will not lose you, but I will let you fail when you don't trust. So then my offense is take the word of God by, and how do you hold the word? In prayer and with the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the word Word of God here, it's a little word haremata, not logos. Logos is the broad canon. Haremata means particular utterances. Uh, Turn the stones into bread. Deuteronomy 8.3. Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus didn't quote Chronicles and, and 18 genealogies. He quoted a particular verse that met the temptation. That was the resistance. You ought to jump off this pinnacle, for his angels will bear bear you up, Psalm 69. He quoted it right. He only bears me up in the path of duty. I will not tempt the Lord my God. You, You see, the devil can quote the Bible better than most of you. And if you don't know what God said, and men, you don't have a chance. He'll tell you, said, Why, God has said, you know, Eve, did you know God has said, uh, oh, Go ahead and enjoy that tree? Nothing will happen. Mm. God knows the word. I mean, the devil, this serpent, when did he go to Bible school? Mm. Mm. And, and, and you know what? Some of his children, some of God's children, will come up and say thanks to you, in which if Jesus there, he would say, Satan, get behind me. You don't say what God says. I've seen Christians be the mouth of the devil, and the devil doesn't need any more help. You need to get full of God's word. Have you ever, have you ever prayed, God, deliver me from the saints? Negative, critical. Maybe not biblical. Satan can use us. I don't want to be used of the devil. So, my defense is the word. My offense is his word. And then he mentions right in saying his, is that we have the Holy Spirit. I'll send you another helper. So, I have the Holy Spirit in me helping to activate that word and helping to assure me I'm going to get you through And in the midst of that, he goes in and he says, be praying while you're holding the sword because praying is staying in touch with headquarters. We used to have a guy in this church named Dave King, and he was a gunner in Vietnam. He was on a tank. Uh, He was blown off the tank, and the tank ran ran over him. Uh, Ran over his leg, but it was such a rainy, muddy day that his leg uh, caved in, you know, went into the mud so it didn't kill him and break him all up. But he said, he was killing people, and this was David's word, I was killing people 30 miles away that I never saw. So he said, I don't know how many people I killed. I just followed orders. Boom. Launch it. Launch it. Prayer is God's walkie-talkie for warfare. You've got to stay in touch with headquarters. You don't want to lose communication. You're in bad trouble if you lose contact. You won't know where to matter of fact, we'll have friendly fire. You'll start killing your own troops. You gotta say that's what prayer is sharing your heart, talking with your God, and having him make the word alive. I'd say the fourth thing God's given said his word. His spirit, prayer. I would add just, just a verse like this Hebrews. Have you heard of Hebrews 3 13? And you're there. Listen to what it says. Verse 12 Take care, brethren that there be, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin just hold there. Look at chapter 12, where he gives us Christ, the great forerunner and captain. But he says something in verse 12 after he describes Christ and fatherly discipline. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak. Whose hands? Your fellow runners. Your fellow believers. Your comrades in the race. Strengthen their hands that are weak, and, and the hands are drooping, and the knees are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's basically mutually care for fellow runners, fellow believers, Encourage, uh, come on, uh, you can make it. He said in Hebrews 10, we ought to meet together, To stimulate one another to love and good works. You know what? Uh, Here's folks. uh, Let's go to church. Oh, there he is. He's trying to get his back to church, the attendance. I guess they count. Makes you feel better. If you came prepared to do church like God told us to, you would realize that church ought to be a stimulating place to be. But most come to hear one man. They come to hear the preacher and to critique the music. Well, they didn't see anything I like. Okay. What do you like? Home, home on the range? Your favorite line there is where seldom is heard, an encouraging word. That's a local church hymn. None of you come prepared for church. You don't come prepared to stimulate anybody. You hope the sermon's stimulated. Hope something happens up here because you know all ministry has to happen up here because we got a monopoly up here. We we just got God and we just dispense him out. Give you a little bit of time. I got to keep you paying me so I can dispense this stuff. And instead of the New Testament concept of the body, that all the body is equipped. To stimulate one another, to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to all be a part. See, and so all of a sudden, let's pay a few professionals to carry the load of the church. I used to get to grousing and get down on the church at times. And I remember I used to, I'd come in the office at of times and uh, I would tell Rich we didn't do this, we didn't do that, and uh, he was smart. He could read me. He'd make these lists of what we got done the last year. I was always amazed. And he'd oftentimes have a list of 20, oh, maybe uh, two to three pages single. We did this. We did that. We did this. We did that. And I, and I said, no, no, we didn't do it. He said, that, we did it. But well, we didn't do enough. He said, that's your problem. We can never do enough. He said, you never give yourself a passing grade Because you never do enough in your own world. And he was right. I've never given myself beyond a C minus. Always aware of how much I haven't done, how much I need to do. And he used to say, you know what your problem is? You're always loading up a few men that ought to be shepherding and waiting on an entire body, and you ignore the total concept of the body of Christ, that if there were no pastors, if there were no teachers on this platform, God's church would survive without us. Did you know that? All these apostles are going to get killed. The church can't continue. Been around 2,000 years, honey. How can we ever make it without Paul? You'll find out in 55 A.D. I'm going to have him killed. What will happen the church is going to die? The church not built on the apostle Paul. It's built on a living head. This church ought to be dynamic if every one of you functioned like you were a branch in the vine. It's your job to stimulate the people who come. It's your job to encourage me. It's your job to stimulate the deacons, the elders, the Sunday school teachers. What's wrong with you stimulating and obeying the Word of God? Everybody around you might be one step from a fatal decision. I went out with a preacher. We were doing a wedding together, and I knew he'd had an affair. He was an outstanding man, had an uh, international ministry. I asked him as a young, scared pastor, why did you? He told me the mistake. And then he, he said this, I said that uh, I would never be tempted in the area. I was tempted. I thought I was above it. I thought I was immune. And it's the very area that the enemy tempted me. And he said, I, I'll never forget it. I was eating dinner at Nantucket when he told me this. He said, you see, what I found out, son, is that an unguarded strength becomes your greatest weakness. And I said, I'd never be tempted to do that because my wife and I taught on marriage, and we were on family. We went all over the country teaching. We would never be tempted to lose our marriage. We'd never be tempted in this area. So, I became a little independent and a little bit maybe arrogant. I was tested, and I failed. But God turned me around, gave me repentance, and gave me a forgiving wife, and we're still together. But it scared me. And right there at the table, I looked him in the face. I said, hear me. I have no strengths. I have no. I need God in every area. I said, I need God in every I have no strength in which I can rely on myself. I must rely on God for everything. What about you? So, I pray, Father, keep them. I will keep them. And he kept those 11. Keep us that are in the world. I will, but I'll use means. I'll use my word. I'll send my spirit. I'll give them prayer, and I'll give them a body of believers that if one's drowning, the rest will come and pull them up and say, I'm going to strengthen you. We've got to run on. We've got to run on. Do you? Let me say this. Do you know how to encourage anybody with the Bible? That shows where you are. Do you know enough to encourage somebody in an evil day? We're all crying for a word from God when we're being tested.